Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoyed the message. And so, Lord, now we, we pray that for every one of us in this room, that you would grant us grace, uh, especially those of us who are almost home now, uh, that we would not quit, that we would take these final steps, spiritual steps, uh, to be fully restored to you. Open our eyes, as your word says, that we may see wonderful things from your word. Open our minds that we may rightly understand uh, the scriptures and unlock our spirits. Grant us grace that we may respond in faith and trust. And uh, we give you thanks for these things. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. Great to see you all. All of you, everywhere, people in almost every seat, and uh, I'm glad you're here. We're going to talk about those full seats uh, at the end of the service today uh, just a little bit. You know, restoration, some of you uh, I know work in different forms of restoration, many of you in the, in the building industry, but some in other, other ways. Restoration is sometimes slow, tedious work, is it not? Yeah, it is, especially in the art world. One of the world's masterpieces uh, is Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper, uh, located in a monastery in Milan, Italy. Some of you may have seen it. How many of you have seen it in person? Had a few folks, yeah, had a few folks in the first service as well. Well, uh, this great Renaissance artist completed the painting in 1498, approximately 520 years ago. Uh, But by just a few years later, by 1517, it had begun to deteriorate. And um, it did so for a lot of reasons. Some were, was climate, some were the materials, some was the construction of the building and humidity, but much of it was just from abuse. In fact, it suffered centuries of intentional uh, abuse. Uh, in 1847, an English writer recorded that the work uh, will never more be seen by the eye of man. The greater part of it is perished forever. Uh, it was declared at one time a total loss uh, after centuries uh, of, of abuse. Well, uh, there were a few restoration efforts, but they began in earnest in 1726, and then many different efforts from that time forward until today, until finally in 1976, there was a well-respected and well-known art restorer and her team who were commissioned to uh, oversee a full restoration of The Last Supper. And uh, she and her team worked tediously day by day, very slow. They used a microscope, and it would take them uh, a week to restore a post one postage-sized section of that great painting. Uh, I think it was completed in somewhere around uh, 1999, something like that. But this, uh, she was record, uh, reported as saying this, I am willing to give the rest of my life to the restoration of this masterpiece. Slow, tedious, long-term restoration. Now, we have been looking at the life of King David 
uh, of ancient Israel, uh, primarily one incident and one year in the life of King David. And we discovered that his life had become a marred masterpiece. I mean, he'd had a, he'd had a wonderful life, wonderful relationship uh, with God. He was God's poet. He penned the majority of the book of Psalms. Uh, he was God's leader. He was God's anointed king. He was God's warrior. Yet in one flawed, fatal moment, his life became wrecked. It was uh, marred. He neglected his responsibilities as king. Uh, he abused his power and powered up over a powerless woman, a wife of another man, had her brought to the palace, seduced her, sent her home, had her husband murdered, lied about it to the nation for about a year, tried to lie to God and to himself. You know, we, we're good at, remember, we are, the Bible says we have the capability of suppressing the truth. That means even to ourselves. He tried to do that for about... Uh, a uh, a year in one moment he started all that wrecked his life but I want you to know that the pace of restoration of of the life of David back into a vital life giving good and joyful relationship with God the pace of restoration did not depend upon the one doing the restoring. It depended on the willingness of the one being restored. It depended on the willingness of King David himself to be restored. He was the holdup. He was the problem. For about a year, he had been reluctant and unwilling, unwilling to be restored. But then when he responded, God responded immediately to bring him back into this relationship, to do the work of restoration in his life. God's very quick with his work to full restoration. He did it with David. He'll do it with you. And so we've been in this series called How to Come Back to God for several weeks. We're in the fourth message in this series, and we have been going to the 51st Psalm and uh, unpacking that. Uh, If you've got your copy of the of the Bible, uh, either turn on your digital copy or, or open your hard copy to Psalm 51. We have been there uh, seeing the journey, the, the map that God gives us to come back to Him once we have wandered, once we have moved away from Him, if we find that we have drifted, if we uh, uh, are backslidden, as uh, some traditions would, uh, would call it. And so uh, David, having prayed... In verse 10 that we looked at last week, these words, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Then he moved on to these words. This is God's word beginning in verse 11. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. This is God's word. And here, at this point in his prayer, David moves from confessing and owning his sinfulness before God and asking for God's forgiveness and cleansing to asking God to, be, to do the work of restoration. Would you also restore me, O oh God? Put me back uh, together. And um, 
you can come back to God if you will pray in a similar fashion. Now, he prayed for, and asked God to restore him four ways. Here they are. I'm going to, I'm, we're going to drill down on them, but quickly, here they are. Uh, you can come back if you will pray like David for the blessing of God's presence to be restored in your life. Hold that point right there. I'm going to come drill down on it in just a second. Also, for that God would restore the joy of his salvation that he would restore the miracle of a willing heart. Now, that's the big point, so hang on to that one. We'll come back to that one. And to restore the purpose of God's redemptive plan to his life. So uh, we're going to get to work. Grab your pen, grab your note sheet or journal, and here we go. You can come back to God, be restored in your relationship with him and restored as a, as a person if you will, first of all, beg God to restore the blessing of his presence in our life, in your life. Look at verse 11, the first part. David prayed, do not banish me from your presence. Now, what did he mean by that? Well, there, there's, let me hold it up and turn it in the light a couple of ways. Politically, politically, in the Old Testament time in which we, of history, if God removed his presence from the Israeli people, they ceased to exist as a nation. I mean, the whole story of, of the Exodus, uh, Moses, God taking a, 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 about a, a million slaves, bringing them out of slavery and turning them into a nation with a home and a country. God did that. He said, I, I've done that. My presence has made that possible. So politically, if God removed his presence from the ancient Israeli people, they ceased to exist as a nation. What David is praying here in a similar fashion is this, please do not cast me away from your presence because if you do, in a real sense, the old me will cease to exist. I, 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 I as a person will not exist as I used to be in, in a very real sense. And he acknowledged that before God. There's another personal illustration of this in the uh, Bible. Again, if you, if you turn all the way back to the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, go to chapter 4, we find the story of the first two brothers recorded in history. They were sons of Adam and Eve. Cain and Abel were their names. Now, to make a long story short, they came to a, a point in the story, the pinnacle of the story is where Cain, in anger and rage, murdered his brother. I mean, it didn't take long. Human beings weren't on the planet long before we are already really messed up by human sin. Cain murdered his brother. And God confronted him and judged him and said, Here's what's going, here are the consequences you have set in motion. This is what's going to happen to you. And Cain was overwhelmed by it. In verse 16 of chapter 4, he said this, My punishment is more than I can bear today because thou hast driven me from the face of the ground and from thy face... Face means presence, closeness, from closeness of fellowship. From, from thy face, God, I will be hidden. So Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. They went out from the presence of the Lord. God's presence was removed and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, being there were a lot of bad things that came from his sinful murder of his brother, uh, not the least of which was this. He couldn't bear being losing God's presence in his life. He could not bear it. And um, living apart from the blessing that comes from that. I mean, to have to live apart from the grace of God all the rest of his days, uh, he, was, he was haunted with memories of Eden. 
over there where grace was, over there where God was, over there where his power and joy for living were. Uh, He was not under that covering any longer. Now, David is aware of this, and he's praying, Oh, God, don't let that happen to me. Because of my moving away from you, because of my rebellion, my transgression, my iniquity, my sin, I've confessed it to you. And please don't take your presence from Don't let happen to me what happened to Cain because of his sin. I I desperately want your presence. In one of the other Psalms that David penned, Psalm 16, verse 11, I think it's going to be on the screen, he prayed this, In thy presence is fullness of joy. Now, we know that as believers, that through faith alone in Christ alone and what he accomplished when he died on the cross in our place for our sin, atoning for our sin, rising from the dead, proving that he could do such a thing through our faith in him and trust in him and being born again or born spiritually or renewed or saved or becoming his follower, receiving his grace and mercy, the gospel, we know this, that his His presence and His acceptance are all we need for everlasting joy. It's called the Jesus plus nothing plan. I mean, all the things we think we need that would beautify our life and and cleanse our life and make it good in addition to being accepted by and having the presence and grace of Jesus in our life, it's not so. They're they're counterfeit gods. They're false idols. Um, In His presence is fullness of joy. And King David, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, prayed that all the way back in Psalm 16, 11. David was saying, I want to be restored. I don't want to be cast away from your presence. I don't want to live the rest of my life with just echoes of my former life with you when it was good. I don't want to do that. Now, some of us here this morning remember what it was like to live in close fellowship with the Lord Jesus, walking with Him, loving Him, serving Him, sensing His power and blessing, but then because of our own intentional sin and rebellion and disobedience, as children of God, we're we're still in His family, but we've run away from home. We've run away from home. You're living with the echoes of fellowship and closeness to Christ, and that's not a good place to be, is it? It is not a good place. And you miss it. And you miss him. You miss him. So so pray, oh God, don't cast me away from your presence. Not only that, in verse 11, the second part, David prayed, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Again, this is all about don't leave me, God. I want to be back close to you. And so this is unique. Now, uh, in the Old Testament times, God's Holy Spirit related to human beings, God the Holy Spirit, you know, God is one God who manifests Himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He would relate to human beings in the Old Testament times in different ways than He does now. Uh, he did not in that time come upon or indwell all of God's people universally and continuously. Uh, He came from time to time to empower his people when he needed them to do certain things. For example, we see him coming upon skilled craftsmen, uh, like those of you who are in the construction and building trades. He came upon them to empower them uniquely to construct the temple uh, for his worship. Uh, We see him in the scriptures coming upon his prophets when they had a message of God to the people. We see him coming upon judges, or that that meant civil leaders appointed by God, uh, governmental leaders, when they needed wisdom and guidance on how to lead God's people. But not universally, not continuously, except for one time, one circumstance, and it was the king 
the anointed king of God's people anointed by God. He did it when he chose Saul as the first king of Israel. But then um, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, as Samuel the prophet came to the house of Jesse to select, God says, Saul's rebelled against me, I'm choosing a new king. And he looked at all those sons of Jesse and he came to the little boy David and he said, he's the, God said, he's the one. And there he anointed him with warm olive oil. He poured it down over his head, symbolizing the Holy Spirit of God coming upon him as king. And from that day forward, everything he did was under the guidance and power of uh, God the Holy Spirit until one day, till a bad day, bad, bad day, sad, sad day, the presence of the Spirit departed from David. Now, David knew this because we know in, in 1 Samuel 16, it tells us that when the Spirit of, of God came upon David as king, he departed from Saul. He departed from Saul and says an evil, a spirit of evil haunted him the remainder of his life. Now, David, the Bible records, was an eyewitness of the life of Saul who had lived in the presence and power and blessing of God's presence and spirit and then lived apart from it and deteriorated. And David didn't want that to happen in his own life. He said, oh God, don't let happen to me because of my disobedience and rebellion and sin what happened to Saul. I mean, he, he, it was very close to him. Eyewitnesses. You have been eyewitnesses of, of, of followers of Jesus who decided to rebel and never come back. And what happened? And you've rebelled yourself, and I have too, and you remember those times, what it was like. Not good. Not good. Not good. Now, if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit relates differently now to his people. We find Jesus himself foretelling this in the upper room in his last con uh, discourse with his disciples saying, I must depart from you so that the comforter can come, the Holy Spirit can come. And then in Acts chapter 2, he did. Now, when people come to faith in Christ, the Spirit of God indwells them at that point. The Spirit of God has taken up residence in your life. But the, the New Testament says we can, if we choose to disobey as children of God, Here's the term, grieve the Holy Spirit or quench the Holy Spirit in our life. It means that I, you're still my child, but I'm withdrawing my blessing because of your rebellion. So how can that be? Well, that's not hard to understand. Did your mom and daddy ever withdraw their blessing when you were disobedient? Was that a fun supper time? No, 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 it wasn't fun. That's not fun. Things not fun. You know, no, you have to, what did you have to do? You had to repent. And make apologies and come and confess and own up, and then whew, things are good at the house again it's not it's not so much different it's not so much different uh, so pray don't take your spirit from me, Lord, and so we pray for his presence second we you can come back to god if and if you ask him to restore the joy of salvation in your life. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation, uh, verse 12 says. Now, he, in May of 19, uh, May the 21st, 1972, a young Australian man born in Hungary who was suffering from some mental illness had been to Sunday Mass at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. 
In the afternoon, he, he jumped a barricade, jumped a barricade, pulled out a geologist's hammer, and he attacked Michelangelo's masterpiece, the Pieta, which is the beautiful uh, sculpture of Mary holding the lifeless body of Jesus after his crucifixion. And before, I mean, their cameras were rolling before, the, as the world watched, he knocked the nose off the statue, he gouged out an eye, he knocked the left arm off the, uh, uh, off, uh, uh, the statue. Uh, they, were, they picked up 50 fragments. Well, I, a team of seven were commissioned to restore that beautiful sculpture. They worked for seven months and put it back together. Some of you have seen that sculpture, I bet. Some of you have seen it. And uh, they worked for seven months and they accomplished it. The leader of the team said this, if you ask me 20 years from now what my life did, I will tell you with joy that I restored that beautiful lady. See, there was, there was a price to pay and then there was joy. There was great joy. Now, King David's life had been defaced by the hammer of his own sinfulness. And he comes to God, and out of that he prays, Oh, Lord, would you restore me? And when you do, would you restore the joy of your salvation, the joy at being restored? And God will do that. God did it for David, and he will do it for you. He will do it for you. You say, Oh, I don't know what you, Pastor, you don't know what a big mess I've made. Doesn't matter. I don't need to know. God already knows. And he says, that's okay, come on back. Come home. Don't quit now. You're almost home. Don't quit now. You're almost home. Don't quit now. Come ask. Let me restore you, and I will not only put you back together, I'll give you joy back of the good relationship. Now, sometimes we might be afraid of losing this closeness again, and we say, Pastor, I just don't know if I can sustain it. Well, you're you're looking at it wrong. Uh, You don't. It's not up to you to sustain this. As a matter of fact, that's what probably got you in trouble in the first place, is you think willpower will do it. It will not do it. It will not do it. Listen to this. You can come back and stay back if you will ask God for the miracle of a willing heart. Write that down. The miracle, number three, the miracle of a willing heart. Look at verse 12, the last portion. David said, sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Who does the sustaining? God does. He's praying to God. God, you sustain me. You sustain this relation. You sustain me and do something in me that allows me to get close to you and stay close to you now over the long haul. Not to go down this road again. You sustain me with a willing spirit, the miracle of a willing spirit. He's praying, God, would you give me a spirit? Would you give me a heart? Would you give me a will that will voluntarily enthusiastically, spontaneously desire to do your will, uh, a spirit that almost with reflex action uh, obey God out of love and gratitude for the great salvation provided me in Christ. Did it turn me into the kind of person who naturally uh, desires and does what pleases you uh, just as if Jesus were living his life in my body, which, oh, by the way, he is. He is. He is. So that's a darn good prayer to pray. This is the focal point of restoration. Now that word willing there in that verse is the same word used in the book of Exodus when Moses asked God's people to give an offering uh, 
to, uh, to build the tabernacle. That, that big fabulous tent they worshipped in in the wilderness. Well, it says God gave them a willing heart. Gave the people a willing heart. It's, God did something in them. They didn't do it in themselves. He did something um, in them. And the result was they gave so much uh, of the offering that the leaders finally stood up and said, Stop it! I don't think we've ever experienced that here yet. Maybe this morning's the day. But, um, uh, but they stop it. Stop the offering. David here prayed the same thing. Lord, would you do something in my will, in my heart, in my spirit that would cause me to be radically obedient to your will as the natural response of my life? Give me a heart that works right. Give me a spirit that works right. Give me a, 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 in my inner man, the, the very center of me, uh, make it work just right. So let me repeat this at, at, at the hope of re- affecting change in you and in, and in me. We're praying here for God to do what only he can do. We're asking him to do something in you and do something in me that we cannot do for ourselves, and that is recreate our hearts, renovate our hearts. You do it, Lord. I trust you. And then and how do you do that? Well, you do it by faith. You, you, tr- you pray according to his will and ways in the Scriptures and then believe he's going to do what he said he would, uh, would do. And that would sustain us in our relationship with Him. But that's not all. That's not all. One, you can be restored in the relationship to God, and He will do the restoring. He'll do it very quickly. And when He does, He will do something in you. He actually models for us to pray for this. Look at number four. Ask God to restore His redemptive purpose in your life. Ask Him to restore the purpose of His redemptive plan in your life. Part of your mission on this earth you have in common with every other follower of Jesus. That is, you are to live life on mission. Now, that's not just some general nice thing to say about God. It means that you are an ambassador for Christ, beseeching people to be reconciled to God through faith in Christ. You are an evangelist where you live, work, and play personally, regionally, globally, That is your mission as a follower of Jesus. It's my mission. David understood uh, when I, he said, he knew that his sin and his rebellion against God had closed his mouth, had shut him up. He was ashamed. He was far from God. He was not, he was not sharing the good news because he was far from God. When we come back to him, he opens our lips. David prayed this. Look at verse 13. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways, and sinners will return to you. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways, and sinners will return to you. He said, God, if you would just make me the man I used to be with you, there's no one I won't tell about it. There's no one I won't tell about it. God used David's experience of rebellion and sin, turned it around for good, and, and, and used it as a, a way to tell other people who need to come back how to do it. Amen. What a powerful God. Now, let, let me give you... we got a minute or two extra. Let me give you a free part of the sermon. <laughs> you know, I, I really believe this. I really believe this is so. 
I really believe that moral and spiritual foul-ups, really rotten people, as rotten as we can imagine, I really believe all people, you know, can have a Savior, and they can actually be forgiven. Not only that, they can actually be restored. Not only that, they can actually be given God's gift of abundant and eternal life. They can live under the care and supervision of Jesus here and in eternity with Him uh, uh, in in the next life when they die, I actually believe that he that it is possible then for God to redeem humanity and and even those uh, who aren't on the planet can be blessed by God's people. That human flourishing, the common good, would take place for the glory. I really believe. I really believe this. I mean, we do, we really believe this. So if we really believe this is true, how bad would you have to hate somebody? How much would you have to hate somebody not to tell them? Well, that was the free part of the sermon. Here we go. He, David said, when, when he experienced the grace of God, he said, I, there's no one I won't tell about it. There's no one I won't tell about it. I mean, this, it is an act of love to spread this word. And when we come back to him, he will restore the purpose of his redemptive plan in your life and in my life. And we just become this vast people who are going around the planet helping yank people out of the fire and telling them the good news of Christ and letting them get in on the same good deal. That's what I am doing with you this morning. And we even teach you how to do it here. It's called Class 401, the Share Seminar. If you've not taken it, plan to do so this year. We take them in order. The Belong Seminar first, Grow Seminar second, Serve Seminar 3rd, Share Seminar 4th. Share is what you're discovering your life mission. We teach you how to do this personally. And I want you to be a part. So when it comes up, sign up, sign up. David kept his promise. He wrote Psalm 51. I mean, now thousands of years later, he's been in glory for thousands of years. And he, this morning, he is still, I'm, through these written words, I'm teaching the rebellious how to return and come back. I mean, that's what I'm doing this morning. I've told all of you many times I've got a there, was a... there was a year in my life as a young man where I intentionally moved away from God, and I knew what I was doing, and I did it on purpose, and I was miserable, and He brought me back according to this map. I'm here today because He brought me back. In fact, I'm doing what David did. I'm, I'm here telling you because He restored his, the purpose of His redemptive plan in my life. He will do the same with you. And so come back. We recycle trash, don't we? So does God. So does God. He'll take the trash of your life, the sinful trash of your life that you look back, that you've left it littered maybe the last week or month or year or five years or decades. And He'll very quickly clean it up and recycle it and turn it into something beautiful and bring you back completely. So we're going to move into prayer time so you can do that in just a second. I'm going to give you four or five minutes to pray. Let me speak to those of you who've never come to Christ in the first place. You might be asking, what, what must I do to come to know Jesus Christ in the first place? Two, th- two big things. First of all, you must repent of your sin. That means that you take a hard look at your self-centered, self-directed life and your sinfulness that you have cherished, it's been your gods and your idols, and you realize it's, 
it's appalling to God and now it's appalling to me. You grieve it and turn away from it and you turn to Jesus and believe in Him, place your faith in Him. That means that you place your active trust in Jesus and what He accomplished when He died on the cross for your sin because of your sin in your place and ask Him to apply it to you personally. Say, not only do I believe it, I need you. And you ask Him to come into your heart as your Savior and forgive you, to come into your life as your God and to uh, lead you and commit to serve Him in this life and the next. You give yourself to Him as best as you understand. If that's you, you do that in this prayer time, okay? Okay, here we go. We've got four or five minutes to pray, and so you do business with God. Let's pray. Lord, I pray now that you'd help us to put aside the things that clamor for our attention that do not matter. And for those who've never come to faith in you, that they would receive you as their Savior and Lord in these moments. And for those of you who are your children but who have rebelled, I pray that they would come home. Grant them grace to come home back to you. Restore them. In these moments, I pray. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for a love like this that makes a way for us to come back to you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you would like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword DOGWOOD to 77977 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and to give.